Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I'm so excited to present my mum, who uh, came over to New York City to be with my wife Carla and I at the most exciting moment of our lives, welcoming our little baby girl, Sophia, into the world. And it just so happened to cross over when we were recording the podcast, and I invited her to come on the show and I asked her to come up with a question that she thought was most pertinent to talk about uh, given our history as mother and son and uh, it's a really beautiful episode because we get to hear her wisdom as a way of background my mother used to be a lawyer uh, then moved into counseling where she earned her stripes as a counselor on a suicide hotline and then she got her masters in psychotherapy and had a very successful business for over 15 years and then having learned meditation decided that that was the direction she really wanted to go in which is really interesting as a psychotherapist to move away from the traditional psychotherapy model and move into um, a full-time meditation teaching practice where she teaches and also counsels and uh, mentors people one-on-one she is an absolutely extraordinary force and it's a great source of wisdom for me. And in this episode, you're going to get a taste of her beautiful, soft, gentle wisdom. My favorite topic is love. Hmm. Love is so important to the human existence, to creation. And my experience when I work with people, they get it so wrong and we get it so wrong. And it should be the most natural thing, but it's not. And we struggle to find it in all the wrong places. And all we're needing really is, at the end of the day, is love, whether it's personal, love for a child, universal love. Mm. And we're needing it, and we search and we search, but we can't find it. And in my experience, when I work with people, it's couples, one-on-one, they're getting love wrong. And I'd love my question for you and to expand it is talk about, number one, self-love mm-hmm. and the difficulty people have in finding self-love, which can then turn into the universal love. So I'd like to open up that topic mm-hmm. with you if I could. Yeah. Well, what a coincidence because it's also my favorite topic. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, tree. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, love, self-love, universal love. Uh, I'd like to propose is, and I know you agree with me, is all one and the same thing, but just different aspects or dimensions of the experience. And you, you observe in all of your clients' experiences, and I'm sure not all but most, that there is a struggle to understand what love is, where it comes from, and how to sustain the experience of it. And that it seems so elusive to some people that, you know, it's the crux of their struggle as human beings. And it's the most coveted experience, I would argue, Mm. that everybody wants to experience a state of love. Um, So what I'd like to do is um, present my definition of it um, and then talk about it in terms of, you know, what it is and where we can access it and perhaps why so many of us can miss it, you know, when it's right there in front of our faces. 
So I define love as the spontaneous instinct to nurture greater connection with ourself, others, and all of nature to have a shared experience of growing because that's essentially all we're doing in every passing moment. We are expanding or increasing our meaning of what it means to be alive. And when we can share in the experience of meaning growing, when we share in that, we call this love. And what it nurtures is this experience of belonging. And in that belonging, we feel love. When we connect, we feel love. When we share in our growth experience, we feel love. And when we have that experience, we belong, which is another dimension of feeling love. And so love is a, is a word that, in my mind, describes the most fundamental nature and the most spontaneous way that we respond to life when we're not overwhelmed by fear. When fear doesn't dominate, our natural response to life is to instinctively want to nurture connection and to share in an experience whereby our meaning of what's taking place right now is growing. We're moving into new territory and we're sharing in that experience. And, oh, isn't it awesome? And, oh, I love you so much. You know, because it's, it's mirroring back to us the truth of who we are. And so this is a very key point there. Love mirrors back the truth of who we are. Mm. My teacher describes love as a self-referenced phenomenon, meaning that the phenomenon of love is only ever referenced inside of ourselves. We can only have an experience of love inside of ourselves. We can have love for something outside of ourselves, but the experience of that love for something outside of ourselves happens inside of us. Love is a internally referenced phenomenon so that whenever we feel love, it's happening inside of us. And you... Uh, asked me to talk about self-love, but you also made comment on the fact that the experience of love can be elusive um, and difficult for us to understand and what its source is. What I'm talking about here is the secret to love. The, the statement that love is an internally referenced phenomenon means that the source of love comes from within us. And the big mistake that I think most people make in this day and age, when it comes to love, is the belief that love comes from outside of us, that love is in the object of what we are loving. But that's actually just not true. And it's self-evident in just reflecting on it very simply. We can behold something that is beloved to us, see it, see ourselves in it, love it, and recognize that the feeling of love erupts from within us 
for it, toward it. Where we go wrong is we see something we love and we identify it with the person or object that we love as the source of the love, whether it be the kind of attention that that person gives us that makes us feel that way. Your, your attention, the way you love me, makes me feel love. And this is where we go wrong. <laughs> the belief that it is the attention and what we're receiving that triggers the phenomenon of love. What I'd like to propose is that our nature is love, that what we are is love, and that is on tap 24-7. It's only that we become disconnected from that experience whereby we doubt what we are. We doubt our lovability. We doubt the relevance of ourselves in the world. That we become disconnected from the experience of just feeling that innocent state of love. When we're children, we walk around and everything's like, ah. You see the beautiful glow of a child's innocent curiosity. Keys. Oh, love for the keys. <laughs> the child is finding nectar in absolutely everything. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> And it's just an innocent thing that it's not dependent on anything externally. The love is just there being expressed. What happens along the journey of growing into an adult human is that we become conditioned into the belief that that experience of love is absolutely conditional on external events and the acquisition of things, whether it be a quality of attention from somebody or recognition or just the acquisition of things to determine whether we are actually lovable or not and, and to what extent we can be open to receiving it from within and from without of ourselves. And so... When we look at it from this perspective, when we look at love from the perspective of it being an internally referenced phenomenon that is always there, it's always happening, and it's only our belief systems that we are unlovable that make us dependent on people outside of us or things outside of us to trigger the, the experience of love within us. It's when we, when we become dependent on that dynamic that we lose track of what love is and how it works. And I think this is what you, you're describing yeah. in your, in your clients is that there has been an indoctrination into a belief system that love can only happen when somebody loves me. That the flow of love will only ever emerge in me. I'll only fully feel it when somebody outside of me loves me which is an interesting thing. And what's happening there is when somebody loves you, they're seeing your inherent lovability. <laughs> You're lovable. <laughs> and you always have been. It's just that this particular person 
is willing to show you in a very particular way, a very special way, that enlivens the... And what they're doing is just holding a mirror up going, you're lovable. I love this about you. 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 And you're like, oh, I love you too. And because it's an event that's happening almost in a silo, we go, well, this is a very special thing and you're the reason why I feel love. (laughs) So we become very attached and very kind of like this around the experience and we, we sort of over, over manage it. (laughs) We get too involved in the process of trying to manage the flow of love. And we get very attached to certain ways. I love it when you say that, and I love it when you do that, and I love it when you behave like that, and you reflect that back to me. And I really don't like it when you don't do that. (laughs) Because when you don't do that, I don't see the image clearly that you love me, and then I lose sight of my lovability. And so the love dynamic becomes entirely dependent upon somebody behaving in a particular kind of way, to make us feel like we're lovable. Now, that's, that, that's the current sort of love model. And what we're seeking to do here is to understand love to the extent that we can generate the experience of it independently of anyone or anything behaving in any way that might not necessarily reflect back the truth of who we are. Now, this is a very big statement to make and a very big proposition, a huge challenge that it poses because what that, what that poses as a challenge is that you need to understand what is lovable about you irrespective of what anyone thinks of you or how anybody receives you. And that requires a great deal of character because we have all been conditioned to, to, to respond to people or react to people relative to the way that they behave towards us. And to break that cycle requires that you sit with an enormous amount of discomfort. For someone to behave in a particular way towards you that you know in your heart, your gut, it's not justified. I didn't deserve that. Yet a part of me feels so hurt. And that hurt carries a belief that I'm not lovable. You behave like that because I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your respect. It requires an enormous amount of character to stay strong in yourself and irrespective of how somebody's behaving towards you, stay connected to what you know is truly lovable inside of you. Despite the fact that it hurts, you can know that you're lovable and still feel pain. And if you don't have a degree of space internally, a degree of intimate understanding of the way in which you are, who you are, what you are, it can become very, very confusing and overwhelming. And this is where most relationships go wrong. They, they go <laughs> downhill really, really quickly. And we, we begin to transact based on how we can motivate or <laughs> manipulate each other to behave in particular ways to get what we need in order to feel lovable and safe in a relationship. We call that codependency. Yes. Yeah. 
And what we want to do is break the codependency model by establishing ourselves in our own lovability, knowing it for what it is, as the truth of who and what we are, and learning to trade on that. And rather than being dependent on some outside behavior to give us permission to act as if we are being loved and adored. (laughs) Because we all just want to behave as if we're being loved and adored all the time, right? (laughs) Imagine being able to act, live, behave, and sincerely, genuinely exist in a way whereby you feel like you're loved and adored, irrespective of the fact that people around you are behaving terribly towards you. That's Mm. power, real power, which brings it back to why we meditate. One of the greatest things I think that meditation has given me personally, and I think you'll attest to this too, Mum, is the power of stabilizing what it is that makes me lovable and adorable, irrespective of what people may think of me in any given moment. And furthermore, in that stability, it's also empowered me with the responsibility to know how to remind somebody who may have forgotten why they love me, (laughs) to make myself an adorable proposition for interaction in a loving way again. It's provided me with that power. And I'm curious to hear whether that's your experience and that that's how you see it. Hmm. Well, you've expressed love so beautifully from a broad, beautiful perspective. Mm. I just want to take it back. And, and that was just, of course, I'm your mother. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up in a bow and a heart. <laughs> um, I want to take it back just a little bit when we get back to meditation. Now, my experience, I've had two types of experience, being a therapist with um, people that aren't meditating. And mm. then when I learned to meditate, it had a profound effect on the way I worked with mm. people. Mm. And um, so much so that I decided to give up that practice and I learned to teach Vedic meditation. And then I have a mentoring practice. So what I found is the meditation was such the backbone to work. And I want to take up what you said about self-love. What I found, and probably everyone knows, when couples get together, why does that honeymoon period go? Because we have this honeymoon period where the hormones are going, the endorphins, I love that person. Oh, they're so much like me. They like pizza. So do I. They like going to the beach. So do I. So we fall in love. But we forget exactly what you were saying. We mould ourselves to be lovable to that person. But what we're forgetting is we've got to love ourselves. So people that now come into my practice, they have to be meditators. And I only see meditators. And what I do, I work right from the ground up. Johnny talks about being, and we all talk when we teach meditation about being. We dive in and take a little bit of that being and bring it into the waking state. When we do that, we're touching our baby self. I call it our original source. Uncontaminated when we didn't know that we weren't lovable. Then we get layered and layered and then... What happens is we lose the love for ourselves. We don't love ourselves. So as Johnny says, and I agree 100%, we're looking for love externally. But what happens is we're repeating a pattern and we get a lover or a partner that is like mum or like dad. 
How did we get there? Because it's learned behavior. We attract something that we're trying to resolve within ourselves. Now, when I see codependency, what I do, I work with the self of each individual to go back to basics, to love the self and not look to externals, as Johnny said, to bring that because it's never going to work, because we unconsciously repeat and marry or interact with someone that is someone we really don't want, that is going to repeat that hurt and pain, because unconsciously what we're doing, we're trying to resolve the issue with mum and dad or with dad. We're trying to fix it through the other, and so hence the pattern starts. So when we meditate, what we do, I'll give you an example. It's the opposite. When someone comes into therapy, they're not meditators, they're raw, they come in, and we're slowly peeling away an onion to get into the self. It takes years, a long time, a lot of money, and it's not good for anyone. It has its place, but when you are doing mentoring on a meditator, you're going straight to the source. You're not peeling too much because you're going straight in there and flicking it out from internally. You're grabbing the being, bringing it out, and the communication with the client is so clear you can teach them how to witness their own behavior, their repetitive patterns, and then what happens, you teach them from a very young age, you get in touch with a young one, and you teach them how to love that child again. And when they start to love that child again, they grow and they understand, I deserve better than this. I wouldn't speak to my child like I'm speaking to myself. I'm not good enough. I have to put up with that behavior because I'm not good enough. Very quickly it grows and then there's boundaries that get put in place. And the person realizes, actually, I don't need to be in this or I can change this in some healthy way. More often than not with codependent relationships, they get enough self-awareness to walk away if they're getting continually hurt. Then it breaks the pattern. We've broken the pattern of then in a deep level, we have self-understanding, we're meditating, we're peeling off the onion from the inside and we're learning wholeness within ourself, self-love, self-respect. Chances are they'll choose another partner that is healthy they come together as two separate healthy units and then universal love starts. They're not dependent on each other to get the external fulfillment and soothing. Two healthy people loving each other can go a lifetime and it's a beautiful thing to witness but the meditation I have to say is the key because I've seen both and I've worked with both and I'm such an advocate for meditation because it's the gift. It's brilliant and it works. Mm. It's been so fascinating to watch your your transition from the traditional therapeutic model into a um, a more intuitive, dynamic way in which you work now that draws upon the the wisdom of you know traditional therapies, uh, but then calls upon a, a more intuitive human response to the way in which you work with people and the fact that you have discovered the the power of meditation to be applied in a therapeutic sort of dynamic and to watch that have such a massive impact on not only the time, the length in mm. which it takes for healing for people that are coming to, but the level of awakening 
that they're having in that process has just been such an extraordinary thing to watch. So mm. thanks for sharing some of the, the insights that you've gained. Mm. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for that, Mama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most obvious takeaway here is that I have a really awesome mum. Special thanks to our show producers, Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin. Music by Ali. Special thanks to Andrea Stern for allowing us to record all of our sessions in her beautiful studio. And to all the One Giant Mind team. Thank you for listening and being a part of One Giant Mind. If you don't already and you're interested in learning to meditate, an easy free way is to download the One Giant Mind Learn Meditation mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. The best way to learn, however, is from a teacher. And if you're interested in learning the One Giant Mind technique, email us at teachers at onegiantmind.com and we'll help you find a teacher in your area. If you're a passionate meditator and the idea of becoming a teacher is something that inspires you, consider becoming certified with the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program that I've developed. The certification program is 100% online and can be done on your smartphone, laptop or tablet anywhere in the world. Teaching can be one of the most fulfilling experiences because you're having such a meaningful impact in people's lives. If you're interested in enrolling and would like to receive a special discount, email teachers at onegiantmind.com and mention the One Giant Mind podcast to get a great discount. Finally, if you enjoy our show, please share it with your friends and give us a review because it improves our rankings and helps others find this podcast. And I really hope you can join us for the next episode.